This is Oasis City Radio Music. This is Oasis City Radio Music. This is Oasis City Radio Music. Twenty-four hours a day at oasiscityradio.com. Tune in, iHeartRadio, and the Oasis City Radio app. This is Oasis City Radio music. Oasis City Radio. Come on, it's so good to see each and every one of you here today. Oh man, I am so glad that you chose to worship right here with us at Oasis City Church. Thank you so much. Have you had a good Sunday so far? I mean, maybe a couple of you have. I mean, if you like what you see, there's another service at five o'clock and you can bring somebody to that service tonight. I know that by the time you leave here today, you're going to think of three or four or five people that need to see tonight. And you can say, come on, you can text them even while I'm preaching. Well, wait a minute. Wait till after I'm done. But then text them and say, I'm bringing you tonight at five o'clock. If you have your Bible, would you grab it like this? If you don't have a Bible, grab a phone because there is a Bible on that phone. Trust me, even if Google, uh, you have to search for it or something, there's websites on that phone. You have access to the word of God. Just hold it up. We do this every week. Well, we do this often in our church, uh, if I remember it. But uh, here we go. Just make this great confession after me. Say, this is my Bible. I really, really love it. These are living words. Right here in my hand are God's words. And I will never be the same. As a matter of fact, today I'm being changed because of God's word. Woo! Amen. Amen. Go ahead and open up the scripture to John chapter 1. We have been in uh, John 1 the last four weeks for our Advent series that we're doing called The Light Has Come. And we're excited to uh, continue on with that and, and bring a closure to that, even though it's a, it's a topic that never has closure. As a matter of fact, Jesus is the beginning and the and just as we've been singing today, but um, we are, we've been in John 1 for the last four weeks, and we've just been adding to, just continuing on the scriptures that ended right to the next one, to the next one, the next one, and uh, it's an exciting thing because we're learning about the person of Jesus, who he is, and Advent is kind of like this. It is a Christian tradition celebrating the soon coming King. And even if it was before Christ came, uh, people would be celebrating the soon coming Messiah from the prophecies. And so even though Jesus came in the natural and that already happened, we know there's a second coming of Christ so that we know that we can be celebrating that. But even in this Christmas season, we are asking and looking forward to Jesus showing up in our lives. I know that each and every one of us right here, you have a hope 
for a future, a hope of something good in your future, maybe a promise that you know that you have, a prophetic word that you know you have, a a promise from the scripture that you're waiting for, and in that process is an advent season where you can be saying, I'm waiting for the soon coming reality of that promise in my life. In other words, you're waiting on Jesus. And right now, you are one Sunday closer to that promise being fulfilled. You're one step closer to that. As a matter of fact, all year, we have been talking about crossing over, taking back the things that the enemy has stolen in our lives, lost that's taken place in our life, and we have been taking back, pursuing, overtaking, and recovering all. We're crossing over into something and bringing it back. Okay, And so in the Advent season, you are taking a step closer to your future promises and bringing them into your present. That's the promise of the Advent. And it's our eyes focused on Jesus. And it's not our eyes focused on our paycheck. It's not our eyes focused on uh, the raise that we're hoping for or the bonus that we're hoping for. It's not our eyes focused on the task list of all the things that need to be accomplished in our life so that maybe we can feel better about ourselves. No, it's our eyes focused on the soon coming king so those promises that we've been waiting for become a reality in our lives. How many of you would like your promise sooner than later? Raise your hand. And for all the other liars in the room. Now, there are some promises, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you're waiting on it because it's collecting interest and you want to have a little bit more. So I understand that. I understand that principle. Today's message is entitled Powerful Grace. Powerful Grace. And we're going to pick up right where we left off uh, last week in the book of John. So if you'll turn with me, John chapter 1 and in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me, for whom his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Really amazing scripture here, and I just want to to touch on, first of all, verse 14. If you take a look at that, that's where we left off last week, where Jesus is full of two things. He's full of grace and truth. Say grace and truth. So Jesus Christ is full of grace and he's full of truth. And then I I love the the next portion here. Uh, Now this is, of course, um, the apostle John is writing the story of Jesus. But he's speaking of also the prophet John, who's speaking of Jesus. So John the Baptist, as we know him, the baptizer. And John says this really interesting thing. He says, John uh, John says about John, he says, John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. He's the alpha and omega. He's the beginning and the end. And, and John, the prophet, knew this about Jesus. Many others didn't know it, but he knew it. As a matter of fact, Jesus says that John was the greatest prophet 
that ever lived. That's a pretty amazing statement. We don't know much about John the Baptist, but, but Jesus saying he's the greatest. I mean, there is a whole lineage of prophets in the, in the Old Testament. Uh, up until that time, there was no Old and New Testament, by the way. So there was the scripture. There's a whole lot of prophets in the scripture. Uh, and Jesus is saying, John, John is the greatest of all. And John says that I knew him before. Now, here's the interesting thing. John and Jesus are cousins. John is actually born first. He's the eldest cousin of Jesus. I mean, Jesus and John grew up playing sticks. They're from the same hometown. They, they grew up together. They, were, they weren't playing kick the can because aluminum didn't exist then. Well, the element did, but, you know, we didn't have cans at the time. But they were kicking jars, pottery. They were playing stickball, maybe, with, with rocks or stones. I mean, they grew up together. They had dirty diapers together. They were smelly teenagers together. They hung out together. They grew up together. After all, they were, they were cousins, and, and they, had, they were family. And John was the firstborn. Every birthday Jesus had, John had one right before him. John got the birthday cake first. John got the cupcake. John got the can. You know, John got the celebration. Everybody sang happy birthday to John before they did to Jesus. It's that kind of party. But at this moment, John says, oh, he was before me because John, the greatest prophet, knew that Jesus existed before him. That he was the word and he was in the beginning and by all things were created by his word. He's the greatest of all. I mean, there's a whole lineage. I mean, there's Noah and there's Moses. I mean, Moses, Moses is the man. He was that great exit. I mean, he just led all of Egypt. I mean, you know, got them out of Egypt, let all of the Jews free. Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Joel. I mean, these great major and minor prophets. And by the way, that doesn't mean like their importance, but that's another story. And this one prophet existing, speaking of the word, says that he was before me. And the very next verse, Apostle John says this, for from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. For in his fullness we have received grace upon grace. John here is emphasizing the superabundance of grace. Say superabundance. It's a fun word to say. Superabundance. Superabundance of grace. So it's a kind of an interesting picture when you think of John saying that Jesus brought about grace upon grace. Or grace on top of grace. What does that whole thing mean? And, and how is Jesus in his fullness? grace on top of grace. John just said Jesus is full of grace and truth, right? And then after it, he says he's also out of that fullness, out of that superabundance, there's grace, and then there's an on top of grace moment. I'm going to teach on that a little bit more today. And then what I love in verse 17 is that this whole time through 16 verses, John is talking about the word. But in verse 17, he finally identifies who the word is. 
This is the first mention of Jesus Christ in the Gospel of John. He says, for law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I love the fact that John left no room to determine or define where grace and truth came from. It doesn't come from a self-help book. It doesn't come from a great author. It doesn't come from a great lecturer. It doesn't come from another religion. It doesn't come from another Messiah. It doesn't come from, come on church, are you, are you with me today? I'm trying to preach a little bit here. I know it's Christmas, but by golly, jolly McMolly. Holly jolly. I'm, all right, so John is identifying where grace actually comes from, where truth is found. It's found in none other than Jesus Christ. You may have a good teacher. You may have a good lecturer. There may be a good book out there. There may be a nice religion that looks all nice and lovely on the outside. But truth comes only through Jesus Christ. For he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. There is no one, no other way to the Father but through him. He's the soon coming king. He was in the beginning and he's the end. Nothing is created apart from him. He is the way. Jesus. Grace upon grace. So it's kind of like this. The old covenant is grace. There's grace on the old covenant. It's defined in the scripture. I'm going to show it to you in a minute. But, but there's an element of grace in the old covenant that we see. As a matter of fact, again, when Jesus is there, he's not talking about the old. He's talking about the new. And he's identifying that there is grace up until this point. And so when we look at this, Jesus doesn't come to get rid of the law. He comes to fulfill the law. Say fulfill. Jesus comes to fulfill the law. And in fulfilling the law, he says there's a level of grace, a foundation of grace, and I have fulfilled it. And now I'm bringing something new. And what I'm bringing is grace that's on top of grace. I'm bringing a truth and a grace that is greater than anything ever known in all human existence. I'm bringing a covenant of myself that not only it, it, it not only fulfills this grace, but provides an entire structure for you and I to live on top of and out of a super abundance of grace that now is on top of all other grace. And here's how he says we can receive it in Matthew chapter 9. Common scripture, uh, if you've been in church for a while. And Jesus, in verse 17, says this, No one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the old skins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine is stored in new wineskins, so that both are preserved. Grace on top of Grace. There's nothing wrong with a wineskin filled with wine. There's nothing wrong with a wineskin filled with, filled with a vintage wine that's been aging and storing for a certain party or celebration. There's nothing wrong with a collection of wineskins. They, they didn't have bottles then necessarily, so the wineskin purpose. But there is a problem 
There is a problem after the wineskin, the old wineskin is, is used up, the old wine is used and the skin is empty. There, here's in lies in the problem. You cannot take new wine and put it into an old wineskin because of the pressure and the fermentation, the new wine will burst the skin and then what happens? You lose two things. You lose the old wineskin and you lose the new wine because it's been spilled out and wasted. It's a double whammy. You remember the no whammies, no whammies, no whammies. What's the, what's that show called? Uh, press your luck. No whammies. Come on, anyone not a millennial? Big bucks, big bucks. There we go. Big bucks, no whammies. Big bucks, no whammies. Well, if you put new wine into an old wine skin, it's a double whammy. It's blah, blah. Because the wineskin is now unrecoverable. It's burst, and the new wine is now no good because it's spilled all over the ground. And so what Jesus is saying is, I have come, and I have fulfilled the old wine. I have fulfilled the grace of the old wine. I have come and fulfilled it, and it is glorious. It has its own glory built in it. It has its own grace built in it. It has its own mercy built in it. The old wine has it all complete, but I can't just take the old and put the new in it. i got to have a whole new container because I need to store grace on top of grace. Jesus didn't come and kick down, hi-yah! the old castle of grace that was built. He came and built a whole new entire castle on top of the other castle. And he says, you can enjoy it all now as long as you're living in the upper room. There's no need to go to the basement anymore. And so what we're really saying here in the new covenant, for you and I to really get the things of God, for us to understand grace upon grace, for us to live out of this new element of grace, you and I, we don't need a new, we need a new wineskin that looks like this. It looks like a new mindset. Because the problem isn't the scripture. The problem isn't the wine. The problem is the container. The problem is that you and I need a new mindset. We have to have a new mindset, a renewed mind, in order to hold the things of God. When the scripture says that you and I are seated in heavenly places, and you're like, hey, look, Bill, I am right here right now, and I'm in this mess, in this mud. And I say to you, well, that may be true, but there's grace on top of the grace you have right now, and that is from a heavenly perspective. And you and I, Ephesians 1, says that we're seated in heavenly places. You have access to a heavenly realm just like you have access to a natural physical realm. You have access to heaven's provision just like you can reach in your wallet and pull out a $20 bill. But we need to have a we have we we must have a mindset that is that is fastened that is that is attached that is new to be able to hold the new. Let's take a look at Hebrews chapter 3. I'm going to close with this passage of Scripture and break down some of the verses here. Um, But take a look at Hebrews chapter 3 in verse 1. I'm reading in the Passion Translation. It says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, you are now made holy. Each of you is invited to the feast of your heavenly calling. So fasten your thoughts fully onto Jesus, whom we embrace as our apostle 
and king priest. Now, hold on just a second. There's some really good stuff in here. There's some really good stuff in this verse. And so, dear brothers and sisters, you are now made holy. You are now made holy. Say, I am made holy. See, this is grace on top of grace. You now have been made holy. That's where you exist right now. See, in the old, on this level of grace, you are trying to be holy. But grace on top of grace says that you don't have to try to be holy anymore. You already have been made holy because of Jesus. When you and I recognize that we are already made holy, we start acting differently. We start living out of our holiness, not out of trying to become holy. Not always looking as us as in some level of a ladder where we're trying to get to the top rung so finally we can be holy. When Jesus says, I don't care what level of the ladder you are on, what rung you're on, you already are holy. So go on up and start climbing a whole lot easier. Because you don't have to strive to be. Down here, the grace that was there in the old was still good. But it was trying to be something. And Jesus says, I'm fulfilling it. And now I'm building grace upon grace. And this grace says you already have been made holy. Oh, it's a whole new perspective. You can now defeat the powers of darkness because you already know that you're holy. You can defeat addiction in your life, sin in your life, any temptation that comes your way. You have the power to overcome it because you already live in grace that's upon grace. You don't have to strive for it anymore. You don't have to ride the, the, the stationary bike to try to burn up enough calories to become holy. But in our Christian walk, how many of us are on the stationary bike? Trying, 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 trying to pray longer, trying to read more, trying to pray more, trying to somehow strive to get out of this level of grace to finally uh, climb up to this one. And Jesus says, if you got a new wineskin for a mind, then you live here. Now, everything that I'm about to read to you is yours because you live here and you don't live here trying to climb up to here. So he says, dear brothers and sisters, you are now made holy, and each of you is invited to feast of your heavenly calling. Oh, I love feast. Feast of my heavenly calling. I love feast. I mean, feast is fun. In other words, it's not snack time. It's not, Jesus is not snack time. He's not goldfish. He's not Cheez-Its. He's not children's church snack bags. He's not when you're traveling on a road trip, you know, tossing the, you know, tossing the things in the back. Gummy bears, here you go. Mom, you forget. How did, honey, how'd you forget the Cheez-Its? You know he wants the Cheez-Its. I don't know. I just, the plastic bags. I mean, how many Ziploc bags can we go through in a culture? Jesus is not snack time Jesus. He's feast Jesus. It's Christmas feast. It's roasted beast. 
He loves the feast. He loves the party. And that's why during a Christmas season, an advent of the soon and coming king, you and I with a new mindset can recognize we have a banquet table set before us. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know the pain in your life right now. I know that there is pain. I know that every year comes with a certain amount of pain, certain amount of suffering, certain amount of victories. But I can tell you this, regardless of what has happened to you this year, regardless of what you're going through, there's a feast available to you that you don't have to climb and try to get to. You already have a grace upon grace. And it gets better. He says, he says, you're invited to feast of your heavenly calling, so fasten your thoughts fully on Jesus. Fasten your thoughts fully on Jesus. Fasten your thoughts. You know, what we need in the church is to fasten our mind belts on Jesus. Because if you fasten your mind belt, your mind has no choice in where it's focused. If you and I were taking a plane ride, if you're leaving after service to go get Christmas dinner somewhere... You wouldn't get there on an airplane unless your seatbelt was fastened. Because I know those flight attendants, they got Superman x-ray vision eyes. They see through your belly. They see through your your jacket. They see through your iPad. They know when your seatbelt isn't fastened. And they say, they walk the aisle and they look and they say, sir, sir. Fasten your seatbelt. Oh, can't we take off without it? No, you, we, this pilot isn't going anywhere till I give the all clear. And in our life with Jesus is like that. You can't have the fullness of a Christian life unless you have fastened your mind belt. You need to fasten yourself fully onto Jesus. Fasten your thoughts fully on Jesus. Think fully on Jesus. Have the mind of Christ. Process your crazy uncle with the mind of Christ. Process your crazy neighbors with the mind of Christ. Process your life. Process your doubt. Process your, your, your um, lack. Process all of that through the mind of Christ. Recognize that you and I must have a new wineskin in order to obtain and hold or contain, I'm sorry, what he's already made available to you and I. All that was just in that verse. Verse 2. Got to preach this one more time is so excited for he was faithful to the father who appointed him in the same way that Moses was a model of faithfulness to what was entrusted to him but Jesus is worthy to receive a much greater glory than Moses for the one who builds a house deserves to be honored more than the house he builds oh so much truth in this once again we're recognizing just like John said it Now the writer of Hebrews is saying, Moses, there was a glory in Moses. There was a grace in Moses. There was the glory of the Lord. And you recognize that if you read the story of Moses, how the glory God came upon him so many, so often. How people, the tangible glory of God is there. And the glory of God's available for all the children of Israel. And and they would see his glory. But how much greater is the glory? Jesus is worthy to receive much higher glory than Moses. It's not putting down Moses. It's just saying Moses is grace and Jesus is grace. It's grace on top of grace. 
but he's worthy to receive more glory than Moses. For the one who builds a house deserves to be honored more than the house he builds. Verse 4. For every house is built by someone, but God is the designer and builder of all things. (sighs) Nothing is created but by him. For every house is built by somebody. Somebody paid for it. Somebody built it. But God is the designer, capital D, and the capital builder of all things. I mean, we know in in our own human perspective, we like to be recognized for what we're doing, right? We like to be recognized for the accomplishments we've made. Maybe you've started a business and, and, and maybe you've grown up from nothing to something. Or, or you've had, you know, a great family and, and you've, you know, you made all these babies and you, you got to make them to, into something. You know what I mean? So it's like, they can't just be little babies sitting around. So, so you, you're proud as a mom or a dad that your, your little babies uh, have become something. And so in our human system, it's, it's all about, you know, recognizing accomplishments. You know, we have the Hall of Fame and all these sporting uh, leagues and, and sport, uh, you know, genres because we want to recognize those that have done a little bit more or a whole lot more than other people have. And so everybody, every building has a, a, a you know, a builder. It's built by someone but God. Every builder is on this level. But God is the master, the designer of all. I'm thinking of a man right now who likes to put his name on top of every building that he ever built. You know, in New York City and in Las Vegas and in Florida and all these major cities. I mean, that word is just at the top of every building. I mean, you know what man is like? You know, the pride of man. I'm not talking about Donald Trump. I'm talking about Conrad Hilton. Or both. But in man, we, we want to we be recognized for what we've built. God has a higher system. He says, you need to recognize me as the master builder and designer whatever you're looking for in life, wherever you're hoping to become, whatever promise that you're waiting to inch closer to in your future, if you do it in and of your own strength, it will never, ever, ever amount and look like it should. But if you do it with the design of the master builder, the master designer, if you step closer to him in this Advent season, the soon coming king, the promise of a savior coming close to you, the promise of grace on top of grace then you'll actually walk out the call of God on your life. Verse 5, Indeed, Moses served God faithfully in all he gave him to do. His work prophetically illustrates things that would be later spoken and fulfilled. But Christ is more than a servant. He was a faithful son in charge of God's house, and now we are part of his house if we continue courageously to hold firmly to the bold confidence and our victorious hope. Moses was great, but compared to Jesus, the Bible says here, he's just a servant. Again, we're not putting Moses down, but in comparison to Christ... 
in comparison to the hope of glory in, in our lives, in comparison, Jesus is the steward and, and the, the one in charge of all the church. He says he's the faithful son in all of God's house. And now we, you and I, can be encouraged to be a part of his family if we hold true and hold to the promise. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, if you're here today, you've never, you've never been introduced to having a new life, a born-again experience, today's your day because you get to come right into something greater than even Moses himself had. You come into the family, the house of God, by a designer and a builder who's God himself. You can come right into the river of God that's flowing. We're all here, all the Christians, you know, we're flowing in the same direction. It doesn't matter if you've been in that river for 20 years, five years, one year. Somebody today can jump right in and be born again. And ultimately, they're going the same place we're going. The truth. I want you to fasten your mind belt, though, to receive it. Because it's not in your works. It's not everything you can do. You can't do it better. You can't earn it. You've already been made something. You just have to receive it. We have to hold on to our confidence and our hope in Jesus. And then finally, I just want to go to verse 12 right now. And here is the, the warning for us, those of us in the faith and those of us who aren't part of the faith. Here's the call, the warning the encouragement. He says, so search your hearts every day, my brothers and sisters. I'm telling you today, search your heart right now. Would you search your heart today? Make sure that none of you has evil or unbelief hiding within you, for it will lead you astray and make you unresponsive to the living God. Unbelief will make you unresponsive to the presence of God in your life. Unbelief and doubt and evil and wrong thinking will make you right now in this very moment unresponsive to the call and the presence of God on your life. God wants something in your life today. He wants a deposit. He wants you and I to, to live in this level of grace. So today, if there's something not right in your heart, something not right in your mind, all you have to do is pray and say, Jesus, forgive me for that. I want to hold firmly to the promise that you have for me. I want to live and understand this powerful grace. Grace on top of grace. And my heart cry for you today, church, as that you would recognize, embrace the power of grace. The power of grace that enables you to be what he's called you to be and to do what he's called you to do.